Now we're continuing, of course, this study, and let me let me move this up a little bit because it has the different things there. This one is called the church, the foundation. And if you just look at the first thing, the church is vital in every believer's life. If the church is to make a difference, it must have a proper foundation. I want to show you and just remind you of something. Just think with me, okay? You go all the way back in Genesis, and God created basically Adam and Eve and people, you know, from them. Cain and Abel and Seth, and then the people came out from them, and then even Noah and Hamsham and Japheth and all this. And these people are called what? They're called Gentiles. Is that right? And that uh, Gentiles, another word for Gentiles is nations. So when you look at, at, at uh, Genesis chapter 10, it's called the Table of Nations, and it lists all these people and how they spread out and where they went. And so then you have, as time went by, then all of a sudden God picked a man by the name of Abraham. And he said, I want you to leave where you're from, the Ur of the Chaldees, and go to a land that I will show you, that I'll give you. And so that he goes, and he makes this covenant with him in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He gives him a land, a seed, and a what? And a blessing. And so there, this is a people group. And when they crossed over, when he crossed over the Tigris-Euphrates River, he was called a Hebrew because that means one who was crossed over. Later on, he has a, a man named Jacob. God changed his name to what? Israel, so they became known as the Israelites, and then later after a division of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, southern kingdom was called Judah, and sometimes people from Judah were called Jews, and so these people were Jews, Israelites, and and the, the Hebrews, okay? So now you have what two group people groups in the world? Gentiles and Jews. And so all the way up until Jesus Christ, and he came and he died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again. When he came, if you remember, he offered himself, we saw it in the book of Matthew, offered himself to the nation of Israel. They rejected him. He died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, walked on their toe. And he told, he told him in Matthew that Peter, Peter gave this confession of faith that it was, you know, that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And so after he died, walked on there 40 days, sent into heaven 10 days later on the day of Pentecost, the church began. Now the church is made up of who? Jews and Gentiles in one body, which is the body of Christ. And so now when you look at the scripture, and 1 Corinthians 10 talks about this, it says, give no offense to the Jew, the Gentile, or the what? Or the church. So there's three three entities now. There are the nations, the Gentiles. There's the Jews, God's chosen people. And there's the church, which is the body of Christ. And we're here for a while. We don't know when, but he's going to take us out. We call that the rapture. Going to come in the clouds. And then there will be the seven-year tribulation, which is actually the final part of the time that God deals with the Jews. And then he sets up, he comes back and sets up a kingdom for a thousand years. Who rules with him in that thousand years? The church and, and then the believers, whether they're Jewish or Gentile. Okay, so that's, that's how this sort of thing fits. And so we've been looking at the church, and as we continue in our study, we said the church is vital in every believer's life. Now, there's, there are a lot of believers who'll say things like, <clears throat> well, first of all, you don't have to go to church to be saved. Of course you don't. Salvation isn't from the church. Salvation is through Jesus Christ. It's by faith alone in Christ. If other people say, well, you don't even need to go, go to church. You don't have to go to church. Of course you don't. You don't have to go to church. Now, he says to go to church. He says, seek not the forsaken the assembly of yourself as the manner of some is. But the truth is, you're not going to be able to grow. You're not going to be able to have the fellowship. You're not going to be able to learn. Uh, it, it, it works in the body of Christ because the body of Christ is a is a group. It's not just a one, and it's never just by themselves. It's individual believers placed in the body of Christ. We're going to see as we look a couple more lessons down, uh, talk more about how the body fits together and those kind of things. As we look tonight, we're going to look at really two things. We're going to see two key areas that build this foundation. The first is the role of the church, and when I say the role, is the characteristics. What should we look for? And if you want to, you can already open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, okay? Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> so we're looking 
at the role of the church, and we're going to see what that is. And we're really talking about the characteristics. And it looks a little, when I put role, I don't want you to say like, okay, what's the role of church supposed to do? Because we've got something, it ties, they all tie together, and I'll show you to you. The second thing is going to be the function of the church, or we might could put it this way. How does the church function? And if you want to write down there underneath that, just write gathered and scattered, okay? Gathered and scattered. And you've heard me teach that many, many times about we gather to do this and we scatter to do this and those kind of things. And so we'll see that as we go through. I just want to let me erase this. I just wanted you all to see that flow. And that's why it's so unusual that you have Gentiles, you have Jews, and then all of a sudden at a point in time that you and the Gentile come together into one body. And that was the, the mystery. The mystery, if you go in the Old Testament, there's nothing about Jew and Gentile being in one body or anything. In fact, Gentiles and Jews weren't very close. In fact, a lot of times Jewish people looked at Gentiles, and what did they call them? Anybody know? They called them what? Dogs. Yeah, I mean, they, 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 they said Gentiles, are, they're separate from us. And if you read where Paul and, and, and writes, he talks about that they were without Christ, they were without the, the covenants, they didn't have the law. That, so the Gentiles and the Jews were totally separate now comes together in one body. So last time we talked about the, cho- the, the church being the body of Christ. So let's talk a little bit about the church and the, the foundation. What is the role? And when I say the role, what should the church be characterized? What should you look for? We have people all the time coming and saying, we're looking for a, ch- you know, a church. So they'll move and they'll come on a Sunday morning and they'll visit our church. And, and sometimes they'll write and say, uh, we're, we're looking for a church, or we're looking for a new home church, or we're looking for something. And so the question is, what, what should the church be doing? What is the role of the church? What, what should people be looking for? Now, I know that people look for things that not necessarily aren't necessarily biblical. I mean, they look for things like, what kind of parking lot do you have? And what's your building like? And how big is your auditorium? What are the seats like? Are they comfortable or not comfortable? Uh, are they pews? Are they chairs? What, what's your children's program? What, what kind of stuff do you have? Do you have a meal anytime? I mean, I, I hate to say it, but that's what people, people are looking for, all kind of different things. And so let's look at Acts chapter 2, and let's see what the church was like, okay? So how is the church to be characterized? That's what we're going to talk about. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 42. <clears throat> and so he's been talking about them gathering and doing this and, and all that kind of thing. And then he says in verse 42 of Acts 2, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now that's the four things that the church, in a sense, devoted themselves to. And we'll, we'll come back to this, but the church, how is the church to be characterized? It is not to be characterized by social agenda. In other words, it's not just, it, it, there's great fellowship in the church. And when we talk about fellowship in a minute, we'll talk what we mean by that. And they're, 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 you go and you have friends and you love stuff. And kids will say, oh, I love church, or I can hardly wait to get there. And uh, people like us will say, oh, man, I love going. I love seeing my friends. I love the Bible. I love the singing and all this. But it's not to be characterized by this social agenda like that's what it's all about. And, and we'll see more of that. But the church, the role of the church, and this is what it is, they were continually devoted themselves, the apostles teaching to fellowship, to breaking bread and prayer. Now, I want to remind you of something. If you look at this at the very start, it says they were continually devoting themselves. We're going to fill in a blank at the, at the bottom of those four things. It says the local body continually devoted themselves to those four aspects. That's what they did. It, this is not what they did sometimes. This is what characterized the body of Christ. And so if you said, <clears throat> what should we look for? as we look for a church, would it be these four things? So let me give these four things to you. The four characteristics, let's just write them down, and I'll give them to you. The first one is the apostles' teaching. They were characterized by the apostles' teaching. We'll come back to it in a second. They were characterized by fellowship. And let me put this up here. Sometimes that's called the doctrines. And then there was the second thing was, was fellowship. Now, most of the time we see fellowship, we think of a certain thing. I think it's going to be a little different. Uh, the third one is called, and notice, breaking of bread. When have you had somebody said, I'm looking at your church. Do y'all break bread? 
Do y'all have the breaking of bread? Uh, you know, most people go, what are you talking about? But that, they continually breaking of bread. And then what's the last thing? Prayer, yeah. That's the big four. So, technically, if you were looking at a church and you said, what should I look for in a church? Do they have the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer? I mean, that, that's really what it's all about. And, uh, and the local body, what, continually devoted themselves to these four aspects. So that's at the, the bottom thing there. L let's look at this for a second. When we say apostles' teaching and doctrine, we're talking about the Word of God. And then when we say fellowship, we're going to get to this in just a minute, but it has the idea of unity. And then we talk about breaking the bread, we're going to see something. It has something to do with a meal, okay? And then, of course, we know what prayer is, and we know the different ways that we pray and all that kind of thing. But we'll look at it in just a second. This was their priority. They did it all the time. So let's ask ourselves a question just for a second. What's our priority? What do we do? What, if, if, how are we characterized? What are the things that we do on an ongoing basis? Does it match the Bible? Does it match what the church did when it started? And so we need to talk about that and see how it fits. Let's start first with the, the, the one that he mentions first, and that's the Apostles' Doctrine. And when you think of the Apostles' Doctrine, we're talking about teaching, and we're talking about the teaching of the Apostles who received direct revelation from God. Now, what did they get? They got the Word of God, right? And so when we talk about the apostles' teaching, we're talking about the teaching of the Bible. And so a church, the early church, was characterized by the teaching of the Scripture. Think about that. And, you know, well, they would get letters. They would get letters from Paul. They would get letters from other people. And what did they do with those letters? They read those letters in front of people. Now, we don't know whether they got a letter from Paul, like, let's say, Let's say that the, the Ephesian church got the Ephesian letter, right? They got the letter, and it says, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, okay? Did they, on a Sunday morning, somebody just stand up and read the whole letter without stopping? Or did they maybe come together and read the whole letter, and then somebody say, okay, and then in the next weeks, we will go through this letter in detail so we'll know what Paul is telling us? It could be. You know, we don't know. And did, did they have, and we know this, that they, they met in big groups and then they met in small groups. And so did somebody say, uh, our small group's taking the letter this week and, and talking about it, and another small group will take the letter the next week. Who know? We just don't know. But we know that, that the teaching of the apostles and, who got direct revelation from God. So you've got, you, had, you had the things that Jesus actually taught, and then you had this newer revelation, let's put newer revelation, which was, we'd call it Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Those letters came together because they already had the Old Testament. They called it the Tanakh, you know, the Torah, the Nebim, and the Ketubim. That's, that's the, the, the Old Testament. They already had that. And, you know, if you notice, whenever they're, Paul, many of them teaching, they were teaching the Old Testament. They were teaching the things from the Old Testament. And so now they're, they've got newer revelation to go along with what Jesus taught, what they had from the Old Testament, and the new letters, the new information that they got, the apostles' teaching. And just remember this, that the apostles, what was the foundation of the church? Remember, having been built, the foundation of the church, having built the foundation of who? The apostles and the prophets, and Christ was the cornerstone. So the church was actually formed by Jesus Christ, and then the apostles and the prophets. They were the foundation. And so if you want to put it, you could put the apostles and the prophets. So the teaching. So here's a question, and, and let's just raise it out. What about us? Is, are we characterized by the teaching of the Word of God? Now, I always say things like this, and I say that there's, there are a lot of different kind of pastors, a lot of different ways of teaching, a lot of different things. I, I actually think you're supposed to do what we call expository teaching, which is actually take the Bible and teach through it verse by verse, passage by passage, as if we got a letter from Paul. What We wouldn't just read it one time, or we wouldn't just take one paragraph out of it. We would teach the letter, we would, or we would read the letter, and then we would go through it. And I think that... Nowadays, uh, a lot of times, I think that I, I say that, and I'm going to say it in a nicer way, I think you see 
pastors doing three things. Some of them uh, talk, and they just talk. And they, they, some of them are great storytellers. Some of them maybe read a, read a verse, and then they talk, and, and they, they keep people's attention. There are people that, that have uh, thousands of people coming on a weekend to hear them talk, but they don't, there's nothing about the Bible connected with them. Or maybe they'll read one verse from the Bible, and then they'll just talk. Then there's a second group that I think that pastors, and they talk about the Bible. And they'll get up and they have a sermon and they usually will try to uh, come up with an idea for a message and then, as we always say, try to find the Bible that'll help match that message. And that, a lot of people have sermons. And people ask me, said, how do you do sermons? I said, I don't do sermons at all. And they said, well, what do you do? I said, I teach the Bible. See, so the third way is those who actually teach the Bible. And I think there's some really great Bible teachers in, in, our, in, in the world. But one of the things I think we're supposed to do is teach the Bible. So I think our church, when I was just looking at it, I would say we, we're pretty good. I mean, we got SBI where we teach. We got grow groups where we teach. We got all kind of Bible studies that we have people teaching the Bible. We have kids teaching our kids. I mean, people teaching our children right now. We got people teaching our youth. We, I mean, so we, I think we do pretty good in saying... Our emphasis, it, one of our emphasis is what? The teaching of the Word of God. It's got to be. And the reason I think expository teaching is the best way is you can't, you can't skip the hard parts if you actually teach expository. If you teach through a book or through a letter, you can't skip the hard parts. And there's hard parts on everything. And it's amazing that if you, if you came Sunday morning and I taught, uh, you know, one, one little section from Matthew chapter 12, and then you came back the next Sunday, and I taught four or five verses from Ephesians. And then you came back the next Sunday, and I taught something from Hosea for, you know, my, first of all, you're never going to be able to put the Bible together. All you're getting is just little snippets. It's almost like when you're young and they say, this week we're going to tell you the story of David and Goliath, and next week we're going to tell you the story of Esther, and next week we're going to tell you the story of Ruth, and next week we're going to tell you the story of Moses. Well, you never put things together. And that's why if you study expository, you already know you've been through the entire book of Matthew, right? Pretty, pretty recently, it took us two and a half years, but you went through the book of Matthew, and we're going now through First Samuel, and you're seeing it, and you've seen us teach books of the Bible, and, and that's what I think you're supposed to do. So the, the first thing is, but they continually devoted themselves to the teaching of the Word of God. I think that's one of, the, one of our strengths, and I think we should, of course, keep doing that. So our application is we must be characterized by the teaching of the Word of God. I think there's two things to think about when you think about how the Word of God is so important. It's the key. First of all, it's how, how do we do this? How do we teach the Word of God? Well, look what he says. Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So I just want you to think about what Paul says. He says, preach the word. Now, the word preach doesn't mean like get behind the pulpit and talk. It means to proclaim. It means to announce. Announce the word. Be ready in season, out of season. In other words, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort, that's the Bible doing that, by the way, with great patience and instruction. So he says that this is, what you're, this is what you're supposed to do with the Bible. You're supposed to teach it, preach it, proclaim it, use it. The, the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than the two-edged sword. The Word of God is what's going to reprove and rebuke and exhort. So that's why what our role is to teach the Word of God. That's why we study to show ourselves approved. And let me just say this. It's not just me. I mean, we've talked about this a lot of times that the role of this thing is all of us take and know the Bible. I mean, why are you taking the 2-2? Two -two? You're taking it so you can know these truths, so you can pass them on to somebody else, so you can take what you know. And so the apostles' teaching, and so this is how we do it. And then, of course, why do we do it? And, uh, of course, preach the word, be prepared, always ready to teach. Why do we do this? Second Timothy says, all Scripture is inspired by God. See, and it's profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, for correction, for training, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. So I want you to see what the Bible does. Why in the world would we teach the Bible? Listen, I'm not a, I'm not a good speaker. I mean, I'm not clever. I'm not the kind of person that could get up and just start talking and people get laughing and go around and move back and forth. I'm just not that, but I can study 
and teach the Bible. And, and this is why. What does it say? It says it's inspired for God and it's prop, by God. It's proper for what? Teaching, reproof, correction, training. So watch this right here. It's, it's profitable. All Scripture is from God. So what does it do? It teaches the truth. So if you want to know the truth, listen, you can be really clever but not know the truth, right? So we want to teach the Word, know the truth. It shows us where we're wrong. That's for proof. It shows us how to get right and stay right. That's correction and training. And then look at this last thing. It shows us, it prepares us to serve. It says we may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So why should we put as our emphasis the teaching of the Word of God? Well, number one, that's what they did, right? They continually devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. The teaching of the apostles, which they got from Jesus, they got from the Old Testament, the New Testament came together. Teaching of the Word of God. What should we emphasize in our church? And you know, the, one of the first things that a person should ask when they're checking out a church, they come to church and they say, we're just searching for a church. If you said, what are you looking for? The very first thing they should say is, we're looking for the, where the Word of God is taught and the foundation is the truths of the Scripture. Is that not right? What are you looking for? Why did you come? You have an interest in that, am I right? Okay, so that, that's, that's the key there. And, and, of course, Isaiah says that the word never comes back void. And Hebrews 4.12 says it's alive and powerful and sharper than two-edged sword. John 17 says thy word is truth. So it's amazing. And what is so great? It, show, it teaches us. It shows us how to get right, how to stay right. shows us when we're wrong. And it prepares us to serve. That's why the Word of God is amazing. So that's, that's the first thing. How are we doing on it? How do you think we do on this one? I, I think we do pretty good. What do you think? Don't you do, think we do pretty good? Okay. Uh, uh, and I'm talking about as a church. Okay. Second, the second thing is fellowship. Okay. When you think of fellowship, what do you think of? Coming together and how about eating and drinking and having fun, having a, having a fellowship supper. We call them fellowship suppers and things. But the, the, bottom, the bottom line is biblical fellowship, the Lord fellowship there is koinonia. And it, it, ha, it actually has a different meaning. It has a meaning that's unity of purpose and sharing. Okay? It's not getting together to eat a meal. When this is fellowship, it's the idea of a unity of purpose, that we're meeting together. And that's why, and let me just read this to you, and this is in 1 John chapter 1. And Do you not love those kids? Is that the greatest noise you've ever heard in your life? Okay, 1 John 1, it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. The fellowship. We're not talking about a fellowship supper. We're not talking about our big Thanksgiving deal that we, d that we have done in the past, but we didn't get to do hardly any this year. We didn't get to have our big welcome back thing. We didn't get to have our Thanksgiving deal. We, di we just didn't get to have them because of the virus and everything. But we're not talking about those meals. We're talking about a unity of purpose that, uh, that as we sit down and talk and we say, why are we here? Why are we together? What is our goal? What is our plan? I want to show you something, and this is uh, the, to, to know and to care for one another. Uh, so what is biblical fellowship? Look what this says. The congregation, now just look at this. Let me, let me get you to write that down for whatever, wherever the blank is. And I want you to look at this verse. I know it's long, but you don't even have to go to it in the Bible. I've got it right here. Look what this says. The congregation of those who believed were of what? One heart and soul. That's unity. We're not talking about eating supper together. We're talking about believing the same thing, believing how we're going to do things, believing the ministry. And it says they were one heart and one soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own. They basically said, listen, whatever, if anybody has a need, all things were common property. With great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Who was doing the teaching? The apostles. And they were given, they were telling the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Abundant grace was upon them all. And then what they do, there's not even a needy person. But if somebody had needed something, they shared it. So when we talk about fellowship, we're talking about a unity of purpose and sharing. 
So the Greek word is koinonia. I just I didn't put it up there, but it has that idea. And one heart, one soul, one mind. Believers are one in heart and soul. So when we talk about fellowship, we're talking about unity. We're talking about sharing. We're talking about being one and what we believe and how we operate. I mean, if, you know, we, we look at things and we say, at our church, we think this is important. And if you connect with this church, you're saying, we think that's important. I mean, so we've got the same purpose and unity. Now, it's amazing. Um, I have to tell this story. I have a, uh, talked to a guy that went to a church that was putting on this big conference, and it was a pretty big church. And this guy that I know is real clear on the gospel like us. And so he went to this, this big church, and they were having a thing. And so what he decided to do was talk to different staff people as he was there for about two days or three days and ask them questions about what, what, do, they, what do they think the gospel is. And he found that none of them agreed. No staff, none of the staff had the same view of what the salvation message was. And he might ask them, well, what, what, why don't you, because this person says it's this, and you're saying this, why don't, why don't you have the same view? And they'd say, well, it's just never talked about around here, something like that. So the bottom line I'm trying to get at is, if you ask Brian or Blake or Hunter or Brandy or any of the elders or any of the deacons, or any of the people overseeing different ministries, if you ask them what the gospel is, you think they would know it? Yes. If you ask anybody in this room, would you say, yeah, we know what the gospel is. It's the death and resurrection of Christ. He died and rose again, and whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. Okay? Because we have a unity of purpose and sharing and beliefs and one. That's what the fellowship is. They were characterized by what? By the apostles' doctrine and by fellowship that is a really a big a big key thing and a lot of times people don't think about that and uh, so that that's why uh we talk about and and they you know they're always going to they're going to get in big groups and small groups and the bottom line it comes back to uh, I, I just wanted to say it amazes me that a person will say I'm looking for a good church and they'll come and they'll see what we believe and how we try to do things, and that won't interest them at all. And, and like my mind says, why wouldn't anybody like the what we do, right? Now I'm prejudiced, but there are people who say it's not what we're looking for. I, well, I go well. What are you looking for? What did what were they looking for in the first century? What did they say? They continually devoted themselves to the teaching of the Word of God and to this fellowship. Okay, well, let's take a, let's take it a little bit further. And let's look at breaking of bread. Whoa. Okay. Because remember, how many people have come up and said, are you a church that breaks bread? What does that mean? You know? So when we talk about breaking of bread, it can actually have the two aspects there. One, it means eating together. We go, oh, that sounds good to me. All right? Breaking of bread. And this is like a meal, uh, eating. Let me ask this question. How many of you like to eat with other people? Well, I do. I mean, I'd go, if any of y'all say you want to go out and eat, I'll go right now. I'll go anytime. I'll go right now. We'll just, you know, because I love it. Don't you love being with people? And, and that is that, that idea. Now, we think of that as fellowship. We had fellowship. What did you do? Well, we went over to their house. We ate and uh, talked and everything. But this is fellowship biblically. This is breaking of bread. And it's the idea of eating together. Listen to this. This is Acts 2.46. It says, Day by day, continually with one mind in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, they were taking meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. That's what they were doing, ongoing. One of the fun things that, that is fun for me is like a lot of times like Sunday after the service is over, everybody's leaving. Sometimes people say things like, hey, we're all going over to this. You want to go? Most times they don't invite me, but anyway, a lot of times, you know, but isn't that fun that when you get with other people and this, or you'll say, uh, why don't you come to our house on Thursday night and we'll all eat or something. And, and so that's, that's what they did. And so they would have big meetings and small meetings and they would break bread and they would eat together. Now there's a second thing 
And that is, and that's, and, and there's a, that was called the agape or the love meal. Did you know? Let me ask you a question. What do you picture a first century church service like? My mind, in old, I'd say, okay, you're about, probably about 11. They all got together. It wasn't about 11 because the first day of the week was usually a work day for most of them. The culture, the first day of the week is Sunday. The last day of the week is Saturday. If you were Jewish, Saturday was the day you were off, not Sunday. And do you know that most Christians worked on the first day of the week? When would they come together? In the evening and they would come together in the evening and what would they do when they came together they ate they ate a meal together sometimes called the agape feast sometimes called the love feast if you remember in first corinthians when paul was getting on to the to the corinthians some people were drunk at the lord's supper and they were and and they had food and some people had food somebody had no food they didn't even share and he was getting on and he was saying so you come together and some of you eat and you're full and some have no food and some of you get drunk and you don't even know what you're doing that's that's why first Corinthians 11 Paul is telling them how do you do the Lord's supper well because they had this meal and then following the meal usually they had what we call the Lord's supper aspect that's 1 Corinthians 11. That's Acts chapter 20. The whole idea of the Lord's Supper. And let, let me just say something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a few. Let, let me write this down. This is what we call the Lord's Supper. So when we say breaking the bread, it can mean eating together. It can also mean the Lord's Supper. I want to tell you that... Um, do you think... When the first century church did the Lord's Supper, that they had a little cup about that big and a little piece of something that tastes like plastic. And that was the Lord's Supper. What do you think they did? I think they ate, don't you? And I think that, that at, at part, maybe even a continuation of their love meal or their agape meal, that they, they had what we call the Lord's Supper. One of the things I would like to do, our church is big. I mean, let's speak. You, you can't say, uh, it, it, the, the closest thing that I see would be the Lord's Supper would be maybe like we say, hey, this Sunday night at 5 o'clock, we're going to meet in the auditorium. We'd have tables set up. And anybody who wants to come, come bring food, and we're going to meet in there, we're going to eat together, we're going to have a brief teaching, and then we'll actually have a real Lord's Supper where it won't be that, you know. That's probably closer to what they did in the first century. And it's always, it's always bothered me a little bit that when you say Lord's Supper and you got this little cup and a thing on the top. And, and, and I know that we do that really for convenience in one sense because how are you going to, you know, how are you going to have a meal for... 300 people or 400 people. And, and the closest thing we could do it is the next time we have one of those big fellowship suppers, have, have, a, have part of the Lord, have the Lord's Supper a part of that. And so to me, can you, and, and think about this too. This doesn't necessarily mean that 400 people met to do this. They had house churches. Remember what this said right here? Continuing day by day with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So you can see that they would, let's say that on a Sunday morning, we all came together for the teaching of the Word of God. And on Sunday night, we went to different people's houses and had this right here. And so they're just, just it's an amazing thing when you think about the Lord's Supper. So they continually devoted themselves. Well, we didn't, we didn't, I think, I think we're pretty good at this because we have a unity. We, we know what we believe. We're kind of all in this thing together and that kind of thing. I think the breaking of bread, I think meals, uh, I, I will come eat anytime that you want to. So just let me know on that. And I think it's really good. And I think it's really healthy when you see the believers getting together, eating and sharing that, that way. The Lord's Supper, I really, I really have this desire sometime to, to say, hey, Sunday night, bring some food. It doesn't matter how many come, whether it's 10, 20, 30, 40. We're going to have a Lord's Supper here 
I said, I, I just think it would be, I think it'd be neat. What do y'all think? In other words, that's just an idea. But so I, I, I wish that this was more than the little cup and the little deal. But that's the, you know. But but even even when we do that, we're still remembering the death and resurrection of Christ, and we're still going back to the Bible, and we're still remembering and going even to the places places where Jesus taught. Okay, so that uh, is the the Lord's Supper, and uh, it's there's a time. If you remember this, this is what's important is there's always a time of examination, and then there's the time of remembrance. A lot of people don't do that. I, I've seen churches that have the Lord's Supper every Sunday, and, I mean, they pass that thing out, and the whole thing's done in five minutes if they can. Well, when is the time for examination? How does that work? <clears throat> you know, so I, I just think that he says, let a man examine himself and then Partake, and so then the remembrance is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, and then here's the last one. The last one is prayer. And when we talk about prayer, Acts two forty two, they prayed. You know, they they prayed in Acts chapter four. They prayed and they met together for times of prayer. They also prayed for special occasions. The Acts chapter twelve is where they all got together to pray for Peter, who was in prison, and they were going to kill him the next day. And they all met together to pray and all that kind of thing. So prayer is really special. Here's the thing: I've had some people, and I think there's a dual thing. I've had some people say, "Oh, we don't pray." Well, that's because they don't always see people praying. Listen, we have a prayer. I don't know how we call it. Do we call it prayer chain? What do we call it? I mean, we have an email thing that at a moment's notice, any of you could call the church or something and say, put this on the prayer chain. It'll be out to, I don't know how many people on that list, but it's a bunch of people. And I think people pray a lot more than other people think. And, and we don't necessarily have to have a special prayer thing to show that we're praying. I know that the ladies sometime in the near future are going to have that night of prayer, which I think was going to be really wonderful. And of course, the weather messed it all up. But so I, I would say that we would all say that we don't pray enough. All of us would say that, but I think we're okay. I mean, so when I look at this and it says, what should we look like? What should it be? The teaching of the word, I'd say, I think we're okay. The fellowship part and sharing and the unity, I got that. I think the breaking of bread and, and the, the, I think we're going good. And this one, so I think that we're, we're on the right track. I mean, there's always things we can improve in every aspect, and, but that's what, that's what it should be. So how should, what should characterize the church? The teaching of the Bible, the unity and sharing of purpose, the eating together and observing the Lord's Supper and emphasizing prayer. That's the big four. And when people talk today, they say, what do you have to offer us? That's what, you know, that's how people look for a church nowadays. They go, what do you have to offer us? And I sometimes want to look at them and say, what do you have to offer us? Because you're coming here. What? To use your gifts, talents, and abilities to connect with a local body, to serve. You're not coming here to be served. This isn't the country club. This isn't, this, this isn't we got these things for you. Come sign up. So that, that's a, a lot of different things. Well, let's move on. As Prof. Hendricks used to say, let's move on. That's too convicting. And so let's move on to the... And we can go through this next part a little bit faster. But let's talk about the function. And when we say the function, it's two ways. It's gathered and scattered. And when you think about that, gathered and scattered, I always think that way that the body of believers, like what are we right now? We're gathered. We gathered in this room. There's like 20 of us tonight. There's usually 30-something. Some of them are missing. I know some of them are sick. I know at least six people are sick. And, and so we got, so we're gathered, and then pretty soon we'll be scattered. I've had people say, I come to church all the time. Really? Like if you came to everything, you might be here five hours, right? Sunday morning, grow group, a Bible study, you know. I mean, so, you know, the truth is we gather and then we scatter, and we're scattered a lot more than we gathered. So let's talk about it. Why, why do we gather? And, and so that when we gather, it's really for worship and training. But let's talk about worship first. We come together on a Sunday morning, and what do we call that? What do we call Sunday morning? A worship service, right? And when we say, when is your worship service? Or when is your service? We've come together to worship Jesus Christ. You know, I stand up almost every Sunday and I start off by saying, thank you for coming. We're so glad you're here. We've come together this morning to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And that's what we think about. And we know that that's, that's the plan. Worship, uh, what, by the way, what is worship? Huh? Well, it's pra- okay, we could say praise, okay. Um, is it more than that? Is it just, is worship saying, I praise Jesus because he's my Savior? Or is worship something else? Let me just say this. Worship is responding to God. That's what it is. Worship is responding to God. Whether you sing, whether you play, whether you give, whether you study and make application of the Bible, uh, worship is that. The, the, the word uh, worship is pros, proskuno, which actually means to lick the hand. It means to lick the hand. It's like you come down in front and you're recognizing who he is. And so whether it's Sunday morning, uh, so how do we worship? Well, as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we study, as we observe the ordinances, all of those are acts of worship. And so let me tell you, when, when I've had people say, I really love the worship and I love the teaching. And they're meaning, I like the singing and I like the teaching. That's all worship. And, and, and so what you've got to understand is that when you give... Let's say that you get up there, I, I don't, I don't, and you go put some money in the plate or you send it in. You know what you just did? You worshiped God. Paul talked about it. He says, as they gave, he says, with such acts of worship, God is well pleased. When you pray, you're talking to him. You're saying, I recognize you as my God and my Savior. You're worshiping him. When we study the Bible and we say, look what this says, and we go, wow, let's, let's apply that. We're worshiping him. When we're singing those songs, and let me tell you, you can sing a song and not worship him, right? Because you know the words, and you can just sing the words and never even think about what you're saying. And, but we can worship him as we sing, too. So from really, really, really great stuff. So worship, it, it, we come together to worship. The second thing, we come together to be trained. To be trained. Think about, why are we gathered tonight? Now, this is not so much a wor- as worship, but we are studying and we're trying to make a plot to make application. But we're also coming here to be what? Trained. Trained to know the Bible, to make application in the Bible. I love uh, this, this passage. Let, let me read this to you. Listen to this. This is, uh, this is why we do what we do. And, you know, this is what's so amazing. What is it? First Timothy 4, what, 13? Am I right? Am I, I'm not even looking, but I was thinking that was right. Listen to this. Paul says, until he gets there, he says, Timothy, the church, when you come together, come together and give attention to the public reading of the Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Three things. What you're supposed to do when you gather together, you're to have a public reading of the Scripture. Do we do that? Most of us, I get up and say, let me read the passage we're going to look at. Then, he said, there's a public teaching of the Scripture. He calls it exhortation. Do we do that? Yeah. And then what? And then, well, I'm sorry, he calls that the teaching part. And then the last part is called exhortation. What do we call that? Application. If you thought about it on a Sunday morning, we get up and we say, let's look at the Word, let's read it. Then I get up and I teach through it verse by verse. That's teaching it. And then at the end we say, let's talk about some applications. Now you could say, why do we do that? It's because Paul said do it. That's why we do it. He said, give attention to the public reading, the teaching, and the exhortation. The public reading, the public teaching, and exhortation. That's when we gather together. And that's powerful, y'all. That's really, really, really powerful. Um, If you, don't, if you don't do these things, you're missing out on a major part of worship. Now, I know that you could come together and say, all we're going to do this morning is just sing songs. That's okay. That's acts of worship. You could say, all we're going to do this morning is give. <laughs> That's acts of worship. But he says, when you come together, read it, teach it, apply it. That's key things. Then what's second after gathered? Scattered. Okay, so we scatter out. And why do we scatter out? First of all, for evangelism. That's to tell people about Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, and basically what you say and how you live. Now, let me just say this, and I've taught this many times, so this is not anything new. Historically, the church has had in their mind that evangelism takes place when you're gathered. Notice 
when we said gathered, we said we gather for worship and training. And that doesn't mean we don't tell the gospel, because I, I give the gospel and tell people how to have eternal life every time. But the real purpose that we meet on that Sunday morning is believers coming together to worship Jesus Christ and to be trained and equipped. When we scatter is where we evangelize. And that's why if you go back to the history of the church, the church has had in their mind that you gather for evangelism. And that means, what is your job as a Christian? To, to bring the unbeliever, bring the next door, and bring them in, you know, bring them in and sit them down and you say things like this to them. We really want you to listen because this is for you. <laughs> and then when it's the altar call, you say something like, if you want to go down, I'll go down with you. I mean, here's the thing. And so if every Sunday was an evangelistic message, how is the Christian going to grow? That's why Christians don't know anything. Because they've been in churches all their lives where they hear the same message over and over and over again. We gather for worship and training. We scatter for evangelism. Because instead of one person doing the evangelism, the pastor, everybody in the body does the evangelism. And, you know, think about what, what, how it is. It, we, it, to the unbeliever, what do we do? We, go, we share the gospel, and that means we got to know what the gospel is, and we try to meet their needs, and we pray for them. All of that ties together. And, b by the way, the gospel is the good, what? News. And I want to show you something. Every time we say, are you sharing your faith? And sometimes we say things like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And then the, Brian teaches the 412. And in that 412, we have different four different ways of sharing your faith. And so you could take the course and, and learn the four ways. But what I've been looking at lately is a very simple way. It's also found in the 412. But it's based on what, what verse is this? John 1? 3.16. Okay, so there is a message, a response. Okay, I, I've lost it with my dyslexia. R-E-S-P-O-N. And an offer. Now watch this. God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his only begotten son. Gave him to what? To die and rise again. This is, the, this is the gospel message. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that he might die and rise again, that whosoever would what? Believe, that's the response, would not perish but have, what is the offer? Eternal life. If you got John 3.16, you got a way to share your faith and you just tell them how God so loved the world that he gave his son that he died and rose again for us and the response is to believe in him and you believe in him for what? Eternal life. And so it's not that complicated. Just using one verse. Now, you take Brian's class, and he's going to teach you four, at least four different ways to share your faith, which is fantastic. But it's really, really simple in that way. So that's evangelism. We scatter out to evangelize. We also scatter out to serve. First Peter 4.10, take the gifts that we've got and use them to serve others. Use our spiritual gifts. And, and that, that, that's, that's the key. And this is ministry, serving believers and unbelievers. And by the way, when we say scatter out and serve, we don't just mean unbelievers. We serve everybody. What did, what did Jesus say how they would know that we belong to him? By our what? Our love. How do you show people love? Huh? Exactly. Listen, you can say all day long, I love you. But if you don't do anything, then, you know, they tell, well, they're all talk, but no what? No action. I mean, when you say I love, love is an action, by the way. Love is action. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. So that's a key. So scattered and scattered. So think about this. We gathered tonight, and we gathered to worship our Savior and to be trained and equipped. And then we're going to all leave in just a little bit, maybe four or five minutes, and we're going to be gone, and we scatter. And what do we scatter for? To evangelize and to serve. Now, that doesn't mean we don't serve when we gather. I mean that, we're, But we're saying the big ideas. So think about this. What if every one of us in this room, tonight there's like 22, okay? Most of the time we've had 30-something because we're missing about 10 tonight. What if all 22 of us 
this week went out and shared our faith. And let's say that by God's grace, 22 people trust Christ. What, what were we supposed to do with those people when we lead them to Christ? Train them. Train them. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them so they can come worship the, the, their Savior and to be trained and equipped. And you help train and equip them. You're, because that's what we're doing. What we're making, believe, uh, making disciples, aren't we? That's the whole thing. So why, why don't churches grow? You know why churches don't grow? Because people don't lead people to Christ. And a lot of churches, their main growth is just people transferring from other churches. You know, the truth is, if you said, would you rather have two families come from another church to start coming to our church, or would you rather have two families who got led to Christ by somebody in our church come into our church? Well, let me tell you, if, if they're brand new believers, man, we can teach them everything, can't we? I mean, they probably don't know anything. They don't know anything about gathering and scattering in the church and when it began and all this good stuff and the gospel. I mean, so we get to do that. Somebody coming from another church might say, we don't do it. We, we don't, we've never done it this way. Oh, okay. We're, so are you matching us or not? Okay. So how's the best way to grow the body? I mean, that doesn't mean we don't want other people to come. I mean, anybody wants to come to our church from any other church or anything, we want them to come. But wouldn't it be great if people were coming to our church because we led them to Christ and brought them in? That's what we're supposed to do. Okay, so let's think about the summary. As a local body, we should be characterized by teaching the Word, the unity of purpose and sharing. That's called what? Fellowship. Fellowship. Uh, eating together and the Lord's Supper and prayer. That's the things that we should be characterized by. And, and you don't have to write down every word, but is that, that's the last, yeah, that's the summary. That's on the very back. But, but underneath that, look at this. So why do we do that? So we can fulfill the Great Commission as we do what? As we gather and scatter. That's the key. Yes, I, listen, you wouldn't believe. I, I've talked to some people, and they've been in church 30 years. And they're in churches that believe that evangelism was done at the church. And so all of their life they were taught, bring in the lost people. That's bring in the lost for Sunday morning and for everything else. Well, think about these people. When I met with them and some of them joined our church, they said, I've never heard any of these things taught before. I've never heard this. They took the 412 with Brian and they said there were things in there they never heard before. They took the 2-2. You know in the 2-2s, it's pretty deep. They definitely never heard things. And they said, I've been in church all my life, and I've never heard this. You know why? Why? Because the Bible wasn't taught. That's why we gather for worship and training, and we scatter for evangelism and purpose. Okay, the last thing is the verse for the memorizing. They were continually devoting themselves to what? This should be easy. They continually devoted themselves to the apostle teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. You already know it, so you got that one made. That's going to be a bunch of points there, I think.